Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn. Welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn. Jim Shoemaker is out of the studio this morning, but I'm joined by Tal Goldsby. Tal, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Keith. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thank you, sir. Great to have you in the studio. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. A lot going on this week, Tal. I mean, a lot going on in the economy, a lot going on overseas, a lot going on here in Memphis. Yeah, exactly. The tournament's here in town. Uh, Unfortunately, UConn was... Too much for us to handle last night. Now, what happened last night? I don't think anyone knows, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't follow college basketball as close as you do, but uh, I, I just look up and we're playing UConn in our conference tournament all of a sudden. How did we end up with UConn in our conference? UConn in this conference. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, it's crazy when you look at all the tournaments this year and all the different teams that have joined all the different conferences. Uh, but 72 53 loss last night for Memphis, only shot 26% from the field. It's hard to win when you only shoot 26%. No, actually, I, I mean, we never had a shot. It was never close at any point, and so uh, it was kind of hard to watch. Well, that's that's disappointing. But you get another shot next week in the yeah. NCAA tournament, and we'll see Absolutely. where the uh, seeds are Sunday afternoon when they come out on the selection show. So Yeah, we'll be about five or six seeds somewhere in there. Probably, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I always love this time of year, seeing yeah. these basketball games, because on any given day, anybody can win. You would. You're a big statistics numbers guy. I mean, well, this is a big right. numbers game, right? It's a big numbers game. And speaking of uh, you know me being a statistics numbers guy, and actually that's not a great segue, but North Carolina <laughs> plays this afternoon <laughs> at 2.30, playing Pittsburgh like we talked about. You know, how funny is it to Pittsburgh in the ACC, uh, but that should be a good game. Of course, I can't watch it because I'm time blocked for a meeting in my office uh, starting at 2.30, run until 4, but after that, you know, I'll, I'll be available for I th- work. I'm pretty sure you have a TV in your office, though, Keith. I've been really? in your office before. Yeah, but you can't turn that TV to anything other than CNBC. That's the only, uh, that's the only channel it picks up. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll, I'll choose to believe you now, but I don't know about that. All right, moving on from sports, and basketball is fun, and we're looking forward to that, but there's been a lot going on uh, overseas as well. Uh, You know, we saw yesterday the uh, stock market uh, on the uh, Dow pull back 230 points. I mean, that was the biggest drop we've had in six weeks. I know, and I think that people are just really concerned with uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, and, you know, the, the German government came out yesterday and, you know, really threatened some very serious economic sanctions on Russia should they proceed on the course that they're taking right now, and I mean... I think people are just scared about the implications of what that could cause in the global economy. And we're all so connected these days that, you know, a threat like that, you know, it causes serious ripples. And we, we saw that yesterday. I think that's absolutely right. You know, we talk about the, the, as you said, you know, the fact that we are a global economy, that we are so interconnected and that, you know, we'll have corporations here who get their profits from overseas. Uh, so even though you might be domiciled here in the U.S., you might get a significant portion of your profits from Europe, from Russia, from, uh, you know, from the Ukraine. Now, they're typically more export uh, type economies, uh, so it shouldn't have as much impact on us here. But I think you're, you hit on the key word there, and that's the uncertainty. You know, no one knows where it's really going to go, right? 
right now the Russians, uh, you know, have some more troops uh, kind of poised on the border of the U- Ukraine. They had some military exercises planned uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, but it's this, you know, it's this back and forth and just not knowing where it's going to go. And again, when you have an army that crosses a sovereign border in the middle of Europe, uh, that gets people's attention. Oh, I know, especially when, when the leader of that country is riding around on horses without a shirt on. I mean, uh, you know, that, that it's just not right. I, I mean, tell you what, though, he, he's quite a character because he is still, to this point, denying that there are any Russian troops even in the Ukraine. I know. I mean, I think he was still at the an Olympic site at Sochi and uh, at the Paralympics and still just carrying on as if nothing was going on. And I, I also think, you know, and Talos, one of the things that we talk about here a lot is, you know, how has our foreign policy impacted some of these decisions? How are some of the things that the president has done as far as, you know, backing away from his red line comments on Syria, uh, now, you know, threatening the Russians with some economic sanctions. And again, I just think it's this kind of, uh, uh, it's, it's this weak attitude in that it's all talk and it's all rhetoric uh, without any policy behind it uh, that, again, creates that, that attitude of uncertainty. Uh, and to think that Putin's view of Russia's national interest are aligned with what our views of what Russia's national interest ought to be is yeah. just wrong. I, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, you know, the, the scary thing that I see is it's almost like a lot of countries are no longer playing that physical warfare. We're almost entered into a, a economic warfare where, um, you know, hey, if you if you don't act right, we're not going to trade with you anymore. And I mean, that there's some implications there that stretch, you know, that we, we've never seen before. We're not used to. So um, I think that's a great point. Definitely interested to see where uh, where that all leads. But uh, uh, you never know. But it is causing some definite uncertainty in the market. And, you know, obviously we continue to watch that at the firm, you know, from a volatility standpoint, how much uh, volatility is that going to introduce into the market? You know, as we said, biggest drop in six weeks yesterday. All of that taken together. And the S&P at the beginning of the week had been up 2% year to date. This week has pulled it back, but we're still basically flat for the year, up about 35 basis points. Uh, but from our perspective, the good news on that is bonds, because even though the S&P is barely up, the bonds by, and we measure that by the Barclays Capital Aggregate Bond Index, is up about 2% this year. So when we talk about that, for us, that's cross-correlation. Stocks are down, bonds are up. That's what we like to see, because that means the markets are working efficiently. No, absolutely. I mean, all this stuff with Russia and everything else, it, it you know, it, Nothing compared to where we were five years ago. Oh, my gosh. And we'll talk about that coming up as well because we had a big anniversary on Sunday. That was March 9th. Of course, March 9th in 2009 is a day that we will always remember. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. We're here every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Let's go to a quick break. Check out what's going on around town with traffic and weather. Uh, See what's happening on the floor in New York. But stick around. We're going to be right back with Tal Goldsby and Landon Mills. Landon is a financial advisor at Shoemaker Financial. Landon's going to be joining us, talking a little bit about how you pick of an advisor. And then later, we're going to take some questions from some of you guys uh, about retirement planning. And if you ever have a question for us, please just send us to us, uh, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we will be happy to answer that for you on the air. But right now, let's go to our break and stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. Of course, you can always listen to us in one of three ways. Either listen to us on the radio at AM 990, go onto the internet, search for our homepage, kwam990.com. Just click on Watch and Listen Live, or go to the App Store, search for our free mobile app, KWAM 990, download the app, and listen to us on your mobile device. I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby. Tal, we're joined by Landon Mills. Landon is a financial advisor at Shoemaker Financial. Landon, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. 
Glad you can join us. Landon, I know you're going to share some insights and advice for us this morning uh, about how uh, to pick a financial advisor. You know, very important on the front end that you do your due diligence from the perspective of a client uh, or a potential client to look at the advisor. So I want you to talk to us uh, a little bit about that. What, where do you start, Landon, if you think that you need some financial advice? Well, the reason why I wanted to go into this topic is a lot of times I get individuals who you know, for the most part, are interviewing uh, advisors and to see if, one, who they want to work with, two, if they want to work with somebody. And I think it's a big decision. And I think you need to, just like you said, you need to do your due diligence. Uh, I am of the opinion that I think you need to have a, a good CPA. Just like you have a good doctor, a good dentist, I think you need to have a good CPA. You need to have a good attorney, and you need to have a good advisor. And Almost need, a team of advisors. Oh, I, I, think it's, I think it's very important. And you need to know who you're dealing with, uh, what you're dealing with, but ultimately any of those individuals, you're going to work with them because two things. One, you know them or you know somebody that knows them, but ultimately you trust them. Right. You trust them to give you good, sound advice, and you trust them that you can go to them in times of need and, and say, look, I've got this situation going on. What do you think? And you're going to get something good to take back that you can use in everyday life. That's what you want from a financial advisor. Sure. And Landon, I mean, you know, we're, this is not a nonprofit business that we're in. So, I mean, compensation comes up a lot. I mean, I think there's a lot of um, literature out there about how advisors are paid. So if someone is looking for an advisor, how would you suggest, what questions would you suggest they ask to find out how their advisor is compensated for the work they do? That's a great question. I think that is, that is one of the first things that you need to know uh, I know in when I'm sitting down with somebody for the first time, if they don't ask the question, how do you get paid, I, I tell them. Uh, and I think if I will say this, if you don't, if you leave a meeting with an advisor and you don't know how they get paid, that's a red flag. That is a uh, very much a red flag. One, you know, the, the first question I, I, I typically get is just how are you compensated? How do you get paid? Um, you know, from a from a cost perspective, uh, there's two main ways an advisor gets paid. It's either something off of a commission, or if it, or it's a fee. And uh, and Landon, we're doing a you know we we do a kind of a, a word a week thing here where we're trying to define a specific term. And this week, you know, our term because I wanted you to define this is fee based. People hear that a lot of times, yes. and I don't think they understand truly what that means. So, can you explain to us what a fee based account means? Well, typically, fee you're going to see fees more so on the investment side than than probably the insurance side. But a, a fee is typically. Um, and I mean, what do we, do we mean a flat fee? Do we mean, you know, I pay well, $1,000? It, 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 I mean, it can be a flat fee. It can be an asset-based fee. Um, but some something where you're uh, – the flat fee, obviously, you're paying just a, a flat initial fee for some type of service. So no matter what you're talking about, dollar amount, services, whatever, the flat fee is what it is. That's what it is. What it is. is. It is what it is. And I like that approach because it's out and it's in the open. It's transparent. You, you know what it yeah. is on the front end. There is no – there are no hidden fees. And, and typically, well – you know the the way that we are regulated, there are no hidden fees. Right, there, right. there really aren't any hidden fees. Uh, if you go back to probably the one thing that was maybe the most hidden fee is um, dealing with four hundred one ks. A lot of times people didn't really know how they were being charged in a four hundred one k. You know, Fender came out and said uh, no. Now that they are going to disclose all the fees and even in a four hundred one k, so there's really nothing that we uh, can hide from anybody. And that's great for the client because they need to know upfront what they're going to be paying. 
I think that's a great point. You know, that's one of the things that we've always been concerned about. But something that, uh, as you pointed out, the industry's done really well recently has had that focus on transparency as far as fees go. Yep. Uh, and now the participants, like you said, in a 401k plan can see the breakdown of exactly where their fee is going. And before, you couldn't see any of that. No, I agree. I agree completely. And like I said at the beginning, if when you are meeting uh, with an advisor for the first time, I know you know, typically I get a number of different questions, which is good. You want to ask questions, but you ultimately want to leave there knowing that if I work with this individual, you know, how much am I going to pay him and, and how that how that's going to be broken down. Okay. Now, so, Landon, if I walk in, if I walk in with a rollover yeah. account, uh, now, how are you going to charge me on that? Let's say I've been working at FedEx for 30 years and I'm ready to retire and I want to roll my 401k over and let you do an excellent job managing it so I sure. can get the best risk adjusted returns possible out of the market. What would you <laughs> charge me for that kind of advice? Or how would you charge me, I guess? Because I know well, I, I can't really say specific. what I would right. charge you, but it, it, yes. Uh, one, it, there's a lot of different ways, uh, I guess, you could be, but it, it depends on the size of the account. But right. typically, if we are rolling over uh, a certain amount of money, um, it, it's going to be a what we call a wrap fee. Wrap fee. A wrap fee, which basically that's just kind of lingo that says the, the fee wraps around the balance of the account. Gotcha. And it can be a, it's, it's typically a percentage of that balance. And it is a yearly charge, and so that is that's what that's very typical, that's right? Very typical of what you see. Now, not to get too deep into the weeds, but if you know, depending on the size of the account, it could be something more on a commission side that would be uh, dependent on something called an A share or a C share, which gets into share class of funds and things of that nature. And like I said, it it really just depends. Uh, it also depends on what the client wants, right? You know, there again, full disclosure. We have to go in, at least I have to, I go into all of the ways that this that this uh, account could be charged, and I leave it up to the client. You know, if you say, "Hey, look, you you can have A, B, or C. A operates this way, B operates this way, and C operates this way. Which one do you like?" Um, you know, ultimately let the client decide. Okay, and so you know, so once we have figured out how the advisor is compensated, sure. What are some key things that we need to be looking at? I mean, I know that I know what we do at Shoemaker and the services that we provide, but just in your opinion, what are some key things that you need, you know, a checklist for somebody of, of services that are provided by an advisor? I mean, what what are the key things you need to make sure that they can handle? Great question. I like to I like it when someone asks the question, you know, what type of services that you provide because what you want to see is there are different firms out there. Right? None of the, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. They all do different things. The first question uh, that you want to ask is this, is this firm a planning firm? Meaning do they write financial plans? Not all firms out there do financial plans. They may say they do financial plans. And I think that's kind of the way the industry is moving. But you, you want to see if, if that is something that you're looking for, a true financial plan, see if they do those. Um, well, now how would Landon, how would a potential client find that out? What, should they call them and ask them? I mean, because as you said, some firms are going to advertise themselves in that, but they're not really financial planners. Ask them to look at a, uh, a sample plan. That's a, that's a great advice. Ask them to say, look, yeah. um, if we were to do a financial plan, what is that going to look like? What's that going to entail? You know, getting back to the types of firms that are out there, there are some firms that are just investment firms, okay? Strictly um, do investments. Strictly do investments. Do a great job, you know, but they're not going to they're not going to get off that path of just investments. There are some firms out there that are strictly insurance. Okay, they're not heavy on the investment side, but they are they are very versed on the insurance side. Then there are firms out there that are going to do a combination of both. They're all good. It, it really depends on what you're looking for. But the more questions you ask on the front end, the more you're going to know 
you know, what type of firm that you're dealing with. And it's going to help you decide, is this what I, is this who I want to work with? So there's, there's no silver bullet for a client. I mean, no, right. I mean, you need to, you need to be looking for a firm that can help you in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I always say, you know, there is no cookie cutter approach to any of this. Uh, Sometimes I get very generalized questions and I always like to come back to say, well, it's very, it's very specific. You know, I can't just say this is going to fit this group of people and this, this particular thing is going to fit this group of people. Everybody is, uh, you know, every, everybody is different and everybody has the, their own approach and the way they want to do things. And so if you get with a firm that says, you know, I'm going to look at you, I'm going to um, separate you from the pack and say, how can we specifically help you? I, I think that's, that's, generally the way you want to go. And I think that's the value of looking at it from a financial planning perspective, because sure, someone could walk in and could I manage an account for you? Could Landon or Tal manage an account for you? Just strictly investments? Definitely. Could we do a better job managing that account if we had a full understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, what your true financial position is, Mm -hmm. what your goals are for the rest of your life for your kids? Uh, You know, I think that just is that, that absolutely essential level of understanding on our part of really what the client client to a, uh, or what the client is trying to accomplish uh, that allows us to actually help them yeah and i think another thing that you can that uh, that uh, a potential client can do is look at the history of the firm go do your due diligence just like you would do due diligence on anybody you know the first thing that typically when a client comes uh, comes to us they have gotten our name from a from a trusted friend. You right. know, a referral goes a long way. But just in the the same as getting a referral, a lot of clients do their due diligence by going on the website. Most of the firms that are out there will have a uh, an advisor profile. I know I've got a profile on our website, Tal and Keith. You both have profiles on there. Go read about the individual that you're going to meet with. See what right. um, that will give you a wealth of knowledge of you know how that firm operates, how that individual operates. And if it's, you feel like it's going to be a good fit. Landon, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about that. Some of the things that you should be looking for on the website. Uh, but I do disagree with you guys on one thing. You said there's no silver bullet for really picking a firm or, or financial planner. And I completely disagree with that. I think the silver bullet is called Shoemaker Financial. Uh, I think you can give Landon a call at 901-757-5757. Uh, and I think that is your silver bullet because certainly as we talk about all these things, uh, we do try to live this out at the firm. And I think we do a great job at it. Uh, If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby, and we're speaking with Landon Mills about how to select a financial advisor. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that, some of the things that you should look at, as well as taking a couple of questions from you, our listeners, about retirement planning. Of course, you can always send us a question, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'd be happy to answer that for you on the air. Uh, But now we're going to go to Charles Osgood for the Osgood file. Stick around, and we'll be right back with Landon Mills. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Of course, Talk Money is brought to you every Friday morning from 8 to 9 by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan, it's about the results. 
Landon, we were talking a little bit about, you know, what you need to do as far as due diligence when you're trying to think about selecting a financial advisor, a financial planner, what you mm-hmm. need to look for. Uh, and you had mentioned that as part of the due diligence process, uh, someone should get on the Internet, look for the firm's homepage, look for sure. their website. Uh, and what else can they learn from that when they, they can see? Obviously, you know, we talked about our bios as reps, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a while there, there was a great picture of towel on our website. I think we've changed that now. Uh, but, the, you know, you never can tell exactly what you're going to find it's, on the website. Don't it's, ever judge a book by your cut. It's still a good picture. I love that picture. You know the sad thing is I paid money for that picture. <laughs> <laughs> that is sad. Yeah. I want my money back. <laughs> well, um, you know, when you get on a website, uh, the first thing I would always probably look for is how long has the firm been around? You know, longevity goes a long way. Because you want uh, someone to be in the business. If you're looking at this, you know, if you're a 30-year-old, you would like this relationship to last through retirement. So you need a firm that's going to be around in 35 years. Well, okay, let's let's give an example. You are at a doctor's office. Right. Okay. Do you want – the first thing you want to see is you want to see a white coat. At least that's what I want to see. Now, do you want to see a clean-shaven gentleman with uh, no gray hair? Or would you rather see uh, somebody with a little – you know, maybe a little salt-and-pepper hair – and it looks like they're a little bit long in the tooth. You know, that's that's something that I would want to look at. And so if you've got a firm that has been around, uh, Shoemaker's been around since 78. Right. It has been in this area since 78. I think we've been out in Germantown for 15 years. So you want something with some longevity that, you know, you can you can go in, you can have a conversation, and they don't just sound like they've graduated from, you know. Sure. From college. Keith, and, and if, the- if, if, if- People are judging uh, their advisor on their hair. You and I are in trouble. (laughs) Hey, all three of us are in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, all three of us. But that's so not true, Tal, because there's nothing wrong with my hair. I just (laughs) don't have any. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you don't have it. There's nothing wrong. But you know, how important is it that you know? I know that Shoemaker. We have a a a team approach when it comes to planning, and that you and I, when we're talking with clients, we don't have to be the ultimate expert in everything. Like maybe someone that's working on their own has to be. That's true. So, I mean, I know our team of planners adds a lot of value. How do you communicate why that's an importance to, to the clients that you're talking to? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Not, we don't all have all of the answers. No one has all of the answers. Um, and I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think if you, if you're, if you disclose that up front uh, and you are, like Keith says, transparent, and say, you know what, that we have a team of analytical, we have a team of um, planners that at any point uh, I could bring in and say, you know what, we've got a good question here. It was something that may have been over my head or something that I just couldn't really uh, get the correct answer. But if you can bring somebody else in, that's just going to make, I think it's going to make the client feel so much better to know that, you know what, I'm not dealing with somebody that feels like they know all the answers. And when they don't know something, they are... Up front and honestly, you know what, that's, that's something I don't know, but I can, I've got somebody here that can't answer that. And so I think it, it, just, it just solidifies the relationship that much, that's much more. I think that's huge because, you know, as you said, no one has all the answers. So anyone that pretends they do is obviously, yeah. you know, is pretending. Uh, and I think that goes against your credibility. Now, one of the other things I would say about longevity of the firm, you know, not only have we gotten, uh, you know, at our firm, at least at Shoemaker Financial, you know, we've gotten the support. We've got a planning department. We've got an investment department. We have a service department. Uh, but also we have strategic relationships with partners that we've worked for, uh, you know, for the last 30 years on the investment. Investment side, on the insurance side, on the planning side, uh, and I think having those relationships also gives us uh, uh, another way to add value to our clients. No, I, I agree, and you know, you know, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, like you said earlier, but you know, as we we're fiduciaries, mm-hmm. and so you know, and what that means is is that we actually sign a contract with most of the clients that we work with 
They didn't actually says in a legal contract that we have to act in their best interest. Yes. Put um, their interest ahead of your own. Yes. Exactly. And I, and I think that's key. So not only are we working with a team, but the team is working under a legal contract that says, yes. I have to handle my client's finances as if I would do my own. And I think when you're going out there and looking in the market for an advisor, that can be a very important thing to look for. Well, and I, th- I think, you know, you look at the state that the industry is in coming off, uh, coming from the hills of the Stanfords right. and the Madoffs. The Madoffs, I sure. Mean, the, you know, people inherently may not trust us on the, at the beginning. And I think that's why you get a lot of do-it-yourselfers because they're like, you know what, if I turn my money over to this individual, uh, who knows if I'm going to get it back. And, you know, it's 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 sad that things like that have happened, but it, it lends itself to – that's why I feel like you need to have somebody that is going to be upfront, is going to be honest, lays everything out on the table, and the more you know or the more that the client knows, the better off they're going to be. And Landon, since you brought that up, and I think that's a, a great segue, when you talk about Bernie Madoff, and, and you know one of the things that uh, – or one of the red flags with, uh, with him and his firm was that he would never explain his investment philosophy, yes. his investment process. Yes. He had these phenomenal returns, but yes. he wouldn't tell anybody how he was generating that return. Yes. Uh, you know, and a pure on Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is it important to understand the, the firm's investment philosophy? Yes, yes. And, you know, this is – it's very – you couldn't have said, said it more clearly – this is the part that I feel like a lot of people, um, when they're talking to an advisor, they get apprehensive right. because they're talking about something that they don't generally have a lot of information about. And so, you know, it's human nature. When you don't know something, you tend to shy away uh, because it just, maybe for whatever reason, it just kind of scares you. And plus, you're dealing with your money. So you're dealing with your money and something that you really don't know a lot of information about. But that is one question that you need to ask is, what is the philosophy of that firm when it comes to investments? How do you get your returns? What do you do? You are you more? Uh, do you believe in individual stocks? Do you believe in individual bonds? Do you go more of the mutual fund route? Um, do you believe in active or passive management? And I, I know we can get into the true definitions of that, but you know these are the things that you need to ask. Um, and, and, it, and it can be as simple a question as, you know, what is, the, what is your investment philosophy? And, Keith, you're the expert for us. I mean, we lean on you every day to, to help define that for our firm. So, I mean, sure, uh, you could probably speak for another two hours on what our philosophy is. Right. If you had to sum it up, I mean, what would you say our general philosophy on investing uh, would be? Right. Our, our philosophy is very straightforward. Uh, we're not market timers. Uh, we believe in asset allocation, uh, and that's just getting the appropriate mix between stocks, bonds, alternative investments, and cash. We believe in diversification. So if I have 60% stocks in a portfolio, I want to diversify that 60% position. I want to own some large cap stocks. I want to own some emerging market stocks. I want to own some real estate. I want to own some international small cap. Uh, so that's what diversification brings to the table. Uh, and then we bring, uh, believe in periodic rebalancing. We want to revisit this account at least once a year, uh, primarily to not look at the performance as much as to see if the client's circumstances have changed. And that's the difference with looking at it from a planning perspective. Uh, you know, we're trying to have this account accomplish something, not just an arbitrary return number. We're actually having trying to have it accomplish a goal. Uh, so that's how we look at it ultimately. Okay. And, and Landon brought up the do-it-yourself guy. I mean, where do we – I mean, if a guy's doing it on his own, if he's using, you know, Vanguard or someone else out there, why would we – why would he be better off coming and working with us? What about our philosophy? What about our practices and processes? Do we add value to that guy's life? 
Right. Well, I, I, would, I would say a couple of things. One, time, one thing, and, and Landon, I would say you could speak to this as well. A lot of times when you get guys who want to do it themselves, uh, you know, they have an awful lot of focus on fees. Fees are very important. Yes. Vanguard funds are a great yes. example of that. But fees are not the only thing to look at. You know, mm-hmm. we always say, you know, do not let the fee tail wag the investment dog. In yeah. other words, if I'm getting good returns, I'm okay to pay with that, uh, to pay for that. Uh, but if I'm not getting good returns, if I just want to own the market, uh, and again, not to get too into the weeds, but we always talk about owning beta and paying for alpha, uh, you know, then we want to get the lowest cost investment option. Yeah. There you uh, go. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> fees are not always the driver of your investment decision. Shouldn't be. Again, if you're going to get a higher return and you pay a little bit more for that, that's okay. The other thing is monitoring these investments. If you do this yourself, are you going to be watching this every day? If something happens to one of the investments you're in, uh, are you going to know it in time to make a change? If you're, you know, if we do it, uh, we watch this every day. If something goes wrong with one of our investments, we're going to know about it basically immediately. Uh, we're going to be able to react to that. We've got flexibility inside of rap fee accounts, as we talked about. Uh, so I think that's one of the ways we add value. But then ultimately, uh, the value comes from approaching this from a planning perspective, uh, from looking beyond the investments, from looking at what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, in your financial life. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the, the nerdy, heady version of yeah. it. I know you and I were talking at the break landing. You didn't that, just call me a nerd. Did well, you? I mean, <laughs> take, take it as a compliment. I mean, come on. You know, <laughs> you invite you on and this yeah. is what I get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, if you if you look at it from a, a real life standpoint, Landon, and when you're working with clients, a lot of times a person may be in a position where they have the time today yes. to monitor their investments. But you know, how often does life change? You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times we see it where clients uh, enter a new situation in life, and all of a sudden they don't have time to manage their assets, and so then they have to go lean on someone like us. Yeah, when I came into this business, I was told that almost anybody could do this job if they have 40 hours a day, you know, five days a week to do it. Problem is, <laughs> most people don't have 40 hours a day or 40 hours a week, you know, five days a week to do this. That's and right. so that's why, that's why we're here. And the, the the people that are your true do-it-yourselfers, a lot of times, they, they you, you're right. They do look at fees. They look at returns. But they have the time and the wherewithal to do this. But just like you said, life changes. Sometimes you get married. Sometimes you have children. Uh, for those of you who are married with children out there, you know it. those take up a lot of time. And Amen. when you don't have the time and the wherewithal to do that, a lot of times mistakes happen. I think that's a great point. And, you know, we, uh, and as you said earlier, Landon, no one is an expert at everything. Sure. Uh, I look at this all day, every day, and I am so not an expert. I mean, there are so much stuff that I, so many things that I don't know. Uh, now, I, I, you know, I think I know a lot, but there's a lot of things I don't know. And I think, you know, coming to a firm that, that specializes in this uh, is a huge, a huge value, huge value added to anybody who's trying to do it themselves. I agree. I agree. And I th- if you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn <laughs> here with Tal Goldsby and Landon Mills. Uh, we're talking about some things you should look at when you're selecting a financial advisor. We want to talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more about looking at the service model. Uh, and then we're going to address some questions we've gotten from our listeners, a question about how much you can withdraw from your portfolio in retirement. You can always send us a question, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we will answer that for you on the air. Now let's go to our Mid-South History Moment and Rebecca Brazier. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Good morning. Uh, Landon, we're talking about how to find an advisor. I think that life changes so frequently that the initial advice, albeit very important and crucial because that's where you – you know, the, the sets the direction that you head in life. 
But often, you know, as we talked about before the break, that just life throws curveballs at you pretty much constantly. So, you know, that the service model of how your advisor is going to take care of you is ultimately very important. So yes. when going out and looking for an advisor, what are some things that people need to be looking for as far as a service model from, from their advisor? I'm glad you asked that, and I, I want to probably spend the most time on this because I think this is the most important thing that you can take away from working with an advisor. In my opinion, the industry is moving away from return, although return is extremely important. But I can tell you this, uh, for the five years that I've been doing this, I have not, I've not gotten a client because their old advisor wasn't getting them return. The reason I got that client was, and I, and I can list them off, I don't hear from my, uh, my advisor. Right. I call my advisor and he doesn't call me back. I can't remember my advisor's name. I can't remember the firm that he's with. Those aren't things about return. Those are things about service. Great point. And, and the, that individual was not getting any kind of service from their advisor. And that's why people leave. That, and that's why I can't stress this enough. I think you need to ask the questions of, okay, so what is, what is your service model? How often am I going to be talking to you? How often are we going to be meeting face-to-face? Uh, if we can't meet face-to-face, can we have conference calls? Can we do Skype? Uh, there's you know, software nowadays. You can, you can almost have a meeting in any, in any uh, capacity. Um, when you call your advisor, and I think this, this one's huge, and I get this one a lot. When you call your advisor, how quickly does he return your call? Is it 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? Is it a week? What do you shoot for, Landon? Honestly, I shoot for by the end of that day. End of the day. By the end of that day because and I, it, it's, I try to take the approach that it does not matter how much money I'm managing for that individual or how much insurance they have with me. In their minds, they're important. That's the thing about it. Individuality in their minds, they're important, and they need a return phone call. If they have a question, as you said, no matter what it is, it's mm-hmm. important. <laughs> and, and, and the thing about it is, is uh, a lot of times – you know, a lot of times we get phone calls. <laughs> when the market goes down, we get phone calls. But when do you typically get a phone call? When something wrong, something something right. goes wrong. You know, hey, this happened. I need it fixed. And and human nature says, when do you need it fixed? I need it fixed now or yesterday. Okay. So a lot of times the question is, it's not so much that mistakes happen. Is how do mistakes get resolved? How right. quickly do mistakes get resolved? And how is that client made whole when the mistake happens? I think that's what you really ultimately want to, to get from an advisor. And I know we're talking about issues where, you know, clients have and they're calling us, but how often should, you know, a, a people out there be looking for their advisor to contact them? I mean, is it important that they hear from their advisor every week or every month? I mean, what, what do you generally um, I, ask for? I typically gauge that on – and I, and I will ask the client, you know, how often do you want to be contacted? And I'll give you a great example. Uh, you need to be meeting with your client face-to-face or on a conference call or some sort of Skype once a year. That is a minimum that, sh- it, that I, I do not deviate from that. Now, sometimes I ask clients, look, we can meet every quarter. We can meet every six months. I've got some clients that say, you know what, let's have a six-month phone call and then let's meet face-to-face once a year. It's all dependent on the individual. But if I don't ask that question, they, they may or may not tell me. Um, I doubt I will probably call them every week unless they want to be called every week. Most people don't want that much. Uh, but if, if I've got somebody that wants that kind of attention, I'm going to give it to them until they say, you know what, this is, you know, this is overkill. And some don't want calls. They want emails. And, you know, you know it's the world we live in. Emails, texts, you right. know, and that's another thing. 
I like to ask them how do they like to communicate? Do they like to communicate through text? Do they like to communicate through email? Uh, most people like an email, but here's the thing about, and here's my opinion about a phone call. A, a phone call brings in that human element that you're not going to get through a text. And you're not going to get through an email and it's going to display some emotion and that needs to happen either, I always say, a phone call or a face-to-face meeting needs to happen because you're going to get that human emotion element into the, uh, into the mix, and that's very important. I mean, I, I love the, uh, of, I guess, the functionality of it, but I cannot stand text or emails as far as a communication medium because uh, you, you lose the tone. Yep. Uh, it is so much better to have that conversation. It's hard to establish that rapport with an email. I mean, I, I, I just I much prefer the, either face-to-face and, or, or a conversation with an email. And I would be wary if, if, you're, if the advisor were to come back to you and say, you know what, I only communicate through text or email, Right. red flag. So these are, these are legitimate questions that anyone sure. should be able to walk in. So if someone walked into your office and started asking you how you charge, how you communicate, you know, all these things that we've talked about, you've got no issues with that. And in fact, you would encourage them to do that. I would encourage them to do that. In fact, I, I've, I've always said, if you walk away from that meeting and you don't have these uh, questions answered, red flag. Yeah, and I think the things that I'm hearing about fees and investment strategies and service models, the key is, is that the expectation needs to be clear on the front. I agree. And so, I mean, I think if you're walking into an advisor's office and the first thing they're talking about is some product or some investment that they need to be doing, that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. you need to establish that relationship initially. So Yes. Um, I, you know, I don't – I know this is not going to come out uh, probably the best way, but – we probably don't want to say it, Landon. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But you don't want an nah, advisor – that hold you back. You don't want an advisor to uh, show up and throw up. You know, you don't want, I know, and you don't want somebody to just come in and says, look, here's everything we offer. Right. And they have not, they have not asked question one about what you want. Yeah. Um, going back to the whole service model thing, you know, the intangible that you, you really have to get out of this is how do you feel about, and I know that's one of those things you really, it's very hard to gauge, but when you sit down with an individual, when you walk away from that meeting, did you have a good feeling? Were you know? Were you creeped out? Were you? Hey, I didn't like what that guy was wearing. You know, I didn't like the way that guy talked. It is a feeling thing, and and not everybody is going to have the same feeling with everybody. But ultimately, we make decisions based on emotion. We don't make them a lot based on facts. Right. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way we are built. So if you have a good feeling walking away from that meeting, then a lot of times that goes a long way. And I know that I you know I have personal friends that I played football with in college that. Uh, we were in the same fraternity, and they are not clients of mine. They're clients of uh, Landon Mills, and because you know, and, and, and that's because they they feel better with Landon, and I'm I'm fine with that because, uh, as my dad says, there's a million different ways to skin a cat. That's right. Some people prefer diff- prefer different things. Yeah. So yeah, um, and and you know, a lot of times it's you know, some people want the objective approach, some people want the subjective approach. It really just depends, and. There have been people that uh, that I have walked away, and I said to myself, I think they will be a client, and they didn't become a client. And then I've walked away saying, there's no way in the world that guy's going to be a client of mine, and they've become a client. So, you know, it's funny. It's funny the way the world works, but, it, you know, it is what it is. It's very interesting. I, w- I want to come back, guys. I want to take a quick break and, uh, again, check out what's going on in New York. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about setting clients' expectations uh, on the investment side of things. And then we want to answer a question that we've gotten from one of our listeners about how much they can take out of their uh, portfolio in retirement and have the portfolio last. Uh, and it's something that we used to talk about as the 4% rule. Yeah. Uh, so if you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Tal Goldsby, and we're speaking with Landon Mills. Uh, we're going to check out traffic and weather, see what's going on with the market in New York. But we will be right back, so stick around. 
Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. You know, we were speaking with Landon, uh, talking about, you know, some of the things that you need to look at uh, when you are selecting a financial advisor. I think there were some great tips. I would encourage everyone to do that. Uh, But, Landon, we were also talking a little bit about setting expectations, and I think that's so incredibly important on the front end. Uh, I typically see it from the investment standpoint, uh, but I wanted to throw out some numbers. You know, we look at this, uh, and Sunday was the anniversary, the five-year anniversary of March 9th. Of course, March 9th in 2009 is when the S&P 500 bottomed after 2008. You know, we talked about that last year or last year, last week, uh, that the S&P has returned since that bottom of March 9th in 2009, uh, a cumulative return of 206 percent. It's incredibly, uh, incredibly important to stay the course when you have an investment philosophy. But there was one point 17 months before March 9th where the S&P 500 was down 57 percent. 57%. Fifty-seven percent. Yeah, we got some phone calls that week. It was a, it was a rough time. I remember back then. I mean, uh, I barely remember what I ate lunch last week, but I can remember the feeling in my stomach when all that was going on and the stress that was on all of us. And and, and I mean, not only that, but our clients too. I mean, they they were calling with questions that were real and very concerned people back then. So, um, you know, that, that's something that we do as advisors is help people cope with what's going on in the market. And that's what you've got to understand on the front end. So if, if we counsel someone on the front end to help them understand that, yes, a 57 percent return, while incredibly unlikely is possible, <laughs> then you don't panic when you are down 57 percent. And the point of that is you don't make an emotional decision, because if you sell when you're 57 percent down, it's not a fundamental decision. It's based on it's based on fear. Uh, but now think about that. If you have one hundred thousand dollars and you suddenly look down at your statement, and it's only $43,000, you're going to be a little bit upset. Absolutely, especially if you've just entered a phase in your life where you have to depend on that money to take care of you for the rest of your life. So if you're, you're talking about looking at, if you're staring retirement in the face or recently retired, that can be an earth-shattering event. Earth-shattering event. Yeah. And, you know, that, and that brings us to the question that we'd had from a listener, is how much can they withdraw from their portfolio in retirement? Now, a lot of this is about sequencing your returns, Tal. And, and, you know, we have historically had what we call a 4% rule. Uh, and I'll just quickly explain what that was. You know, we look back to 1926, uh, and we looked at 30-year rolling periods from 26 forward. Uh, if we factored those in and looking at a 4% rate of return from a portfolio that is designed to last 30 years with an adjustment for inflation every year, uh, then that portfolio never lost all its value in that in that in any of those rolling thirty year periods historically based on historic returns. Well, now we're saying that the environment has changed a little bit. We may not be able to withdraw that same amount and have the portfolio last. Yeah, and it's weird. Rule of thumbs don't change very often, right? And so I know when I heard that number that you know that, that we were altering that and going down. That was a big deal to me. Because that was just kind of a, I mean, that was something that we just, we planned on that. It, and that it was, was an assumption. And right. That, you know, if we could tell people that, you know, if you, you, you can only live on 4% of the and money. And it was a live, safe assumption. Yeah. And, and people base the rest of their lives on that. And so that's a change. That's one of those fundamental variables that changed and, and caused some different planning for people to need to go back and look at. So if you're in retirement, it's definitely something to revisit. But you, you hit on something a second ago. And that sequence of events, sequence of returns is so important. Because if you experience that uh, big loss very at the very beginning, it doesn't matter how good your investment does after that. Because if you're drawing money out of that and the market goes down, that's like the market going down double. 
So I'm down 57%, and I have to pull money out. And so you're never able to actually recover. So right. if you were taking money out in 2008 and 2009, you still may not be back to where you were before. And so it's important to look at that and be able to protect yourself from something like that uh, if it were to happen and you're just now entering retirement. That's a, that's a great point. Now, if you're not taking distributions, you know, you can weather the storm. You know, we said we were down 57% in the 17 months before March 9th of 2009. In the 12 months after March 9th, we were up almost 69%. Sure. But after that 57% loss on the front end, even after a 69% gain, our $100,000 account is still only worth $73,000 even after a 69% one-year gain. Yeah. Uh, that shows you how much of an impact that loss can have on the front end, and that is just magnified if you're taking distributions, and that's when it really hurts. Absolutely, and, and that's real life. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, you know, you talk about alpha and beta and everything. Uh, I think where a lot of that stuff gets lost on people is that they're opening their statements of an account that they're, you know, needing to provide them to, to pay their bills or taxes, their, right. the lights, the food. And so that's, what, that's all they care about at the end of the day. And so looking at a portfolio that can hedge against that type of situation is important and key. And I think that when we're adding value as an advisor, the important thing to consider versus doing it on your own is, are you you taking that into account? We always talk about averaging 5% or 4%, but that never happens. You know, the sequence of events happens, the sequence of returns happens. And sometimes it doesn't happen in a neat, orderly fashion like we want to. And if, if I could say one thing, talking to your point, Tal, as far as, you know, um, not knowing how to do that. Somebody who is on their own a lot of times does not know uh, things like that. And a lot of times will let their emotions take over and dictate their decisions. And there again speaks to why I feel like people need to work with an advisor. It puts the emphasis on planning. And the other thing it does is, you know, you've got to look at everybody's individual situation. You know, what is the, the right withdrawal rate? I have no idea. But if I look at your individual situation, I can help you figure that out. And that's what we do as advisors. Guys, thank you so much. Great show today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Keith. I hope you can join us next week. We're going to have Mac Bailey on to talk a little bit about elder law and Rob Clement from Shoemaker Financial. I want to thank Art Frederick, our program director, Jeff Long, our compliance officer, Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, Drew Johnson, who writes our Mid-South History Moments, Rebecca Brazier, who reads them. I'm Keith Quinn. Join us next week. We'll help you make the most of Jim your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated the mid-south station with the most local talk and cbs news at the top of every hour am 990 kwam memphis